0: I know some of you are new and you're just visiting. Perhaps you have just moved here and you've left some friends behind. And maybe you're trying to connect with new people. It can be kind of awkward and weird. But I think it is very vital and key for you and I both to have friends. We all want friends. I want my kids to have friends. I want my wife to have friends, and I want to have friends. It'd even be nice to have friends over the long haul. Let me tell you about four guys in our church who've been friends for years. And they're here this morning, and you can go and meet them. They're not all here, but um, I'm going to acknowledge Gary, Steve, Dave and Bruce, Bruce, you want to raise your hand? Yeah, Gary, you going to raise your hand? They've been part of our church for years. (laughs) Three of these four went to high school together, and they're still friends. I mean, many years later, we're talking 20-plus. About these guys, Bruce works at Jewel, we see him when we go in there, Gary works at Domino's, Steve works at Target, and Dave works at Walmart. And when you go to these stores, and when I go to these stores, and I talk to them, I ask them about their life, and they also tell me about the other three. They've been friends for the long haul. And they've been coming here together. And I see them and just blown away by this enduring nature of their friendship. We also have a woman in our congregation, and she knows that I'm going to refer to her today. Uh, Ashley Qualley, you want to raise your hand? I'm really just calling you out over there. She has uh, tight, close friends from college who still stay in touch many years later. I'm not going to try to do the math on how many years later. Yeah. Um, Now, get this. There's six of them. I'm not going to say this all accurately, but they they still, many years later since college, go on trips together. In fact, they use an app called Marco Polo. I think it's kind of like a a walkie-talkie type thing, a video walkie-talkie. And they will spend hours on there doing their daily lives routines. She she said, "I'm, I'm folding towels, and we're on this app together, still talking, many years later still tight. You may think, well, that's really odd. (laughs) That's really weird, but that's pretty cool, right? That they've been friends for so many years, and and I think that's what we want, right? If you're a college student, you're like, yeah, I want some friends like that. If you're a family here, you're like, yeah, I'd like to be around with some other families like that. We could be tight for the long haul. We we, we desire this connection and, and friendship. But for this morning, I want to kind of just throw something else at you, kind of like a friendship with a twist type thing. And, and, and it seems that when I read the Bible, you have friends in here, but they're friends on mission together. Do you know that? Friends on mission together. You can think of the disciples moving out on mission together. In fact, Jesus in John fifteen fifteen calls his disciples Friends, you can think of the church in Acts praying together, eating together, worshiping together, sharing their goods with one another, and even spreading the gospel together. It's a it's a clear picture of friends on mission together. I was driving in this morning. I was going uh, across uh, McCormick, driving into Evanston, and the weather was lovely. It was miserable, right? And I was thinking to myself. I, I just don't want to walk from my car the 10 feet to the church because I got my glasses, get all wet, and I'm thinking, uh, but while I'm driving along McCormick, I see tons of people out running in groups. I'm sure they're training for some Chicago Marathon or something like that. It's like, wow. So, friends on a mission together. And I would think, hey, as believers, we have a greater mission. as awesome it is to run a marathon. <laughs> Friends on mission together. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So go ahead and turn to Colossians. We are going to look at the very last passage of Colossians, but we are not done with Colossians. In fact, we have two weeks left, and you may be confused. Well, you will have to come back over the next two weeks. So we're not done with Colossians, but we're finishing up this morning. Maybe that doesn't make sense. It's okay. Come back the next two weeks. You'll see. So let's go ahead and stand up, and I'm going to read the passage this morning. Colossians 4, starting in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and they may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that is taking place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice." These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. This is a healthy church. I've been saying that for weeks. But there are some threatening this church, trying to infiltrate it and move them from the gospel. It's false teaching. It's a movement from the gospel to a higher plane of something else, super spiritualness. And to combat this false teaching, he spends the letter exalting the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is supreme. Overall. He's also exalting the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. Not only is he supreme, but he is sufficient to meet your needs and to care for you. And now we've come to the final greetings with this list of names. And before I got up here, one of the apprentices said, I have no idea what you're going to do with these names. But I would say it's a clear picture of friends on mission together. Do not think that the Apostle Paul is always on his own, conquering the world for Christ. He's surrounded by colleagues and friends on mission together. So this is going to be interesting. Let's just kind of go through some of these. I think think you'll enjoy this. Let's start with verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are And that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus was the letter carrier. But he's more than the standard mailman. It'd be like the mailman delivering your mail and then coming into your house and fellowshipping with you and elaborating on your letters. That's what's going on here. Paul says that Tychicus will tell you all about my activities In in this book, Paul doesn't talk much about the details of his situation, but his colleague, Tychicus, fills in the details. And he says of Tychicus, he says that he is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. And Paul's description could be used to describe most of his colleagues, and it is a, a great friendship descriptor of love, faithfulness, and service to the Lord. You see, that Tychicus was sent not only to fill in the details of Paul's situation, but he was also sent that he may encourage your heart. And you will find that some of the best interactions that you have with friends who are loving and faithful is that they will encourage your heart. Sometimes at family worship uh, around uh, our table, we will go around and you have to say something encouraging about the person next to you. Some have to try harder than others. So you go around and you say something encouraging, and it builds them up. But when we do this, my six-year-old, Darion, really loves this. In fact, when we come to the table the next night, he will say, let's do that again. Because we want to hear these encouraging words from other people. And I know some of you did not grow up in families like that. And I would say if you did not grow in families like that, rather than, uh, than continuing to complain and gripe about the fact of how awful your childhood was and that you didn't receive encouragement, it's time for you to create a new family. It's time for you to create a new dynamic, perhaps as you move forward in life where you will have to create some new ways to encourage one another rather than continuing complaining about the past. But I would also take it a step further and say, in church, in the body of believers, you should place yourself around those who can encourage you, encourage you and build you up in your heart. The ethos that I'm a part of um, that meets at Dave and Corinne's house, Chacazian's. Uh, they, they started something this year, I think Ryan Fields maybe started it, where just about every week, someone from the group will tell their story. Now, when I first heard, heard about this idea, I thought, well, they'll tell the story for about five minutes, so we'll pray for him. But most of the stories that uh, uh, my brothers and sisters have told have lasted 30, 40, 45 minutes, where they're talking about their lives from their childhood, the good and the bad, all the way up to now. And then the group will gather around them, lay hands on them, and pray for them and encourage them. And we need that. We need friends to surround us and, and encourage us and to build us up. And if you don't have that right now, let me encourage you to throw yourself in an ethos and be around those who can encourage your heart. Now I want you to look at verse nine. It says specifically in verse nine, Paul says it says, "And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now Onesimus was a converted slave, a converted bond servant. and you can read about a story in Philemon, and Paul calls him a faithful, and beloved brother. And what is awesome about the church and about friendships is that the gospel cuts across ethnic, gender and socioeconomic barriers. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 3:28 you're familiar with this it says there's neither Jew nor Greek. there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice again that Paul calls Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother who's one of you. He's part of the family of God at Colossae and part of the friends on mission together. There's a book by this pastor named Scott Siles. It's a pretty good book. It's called "Be Friend." I'm going to show you this book. You get it if you want. And he says in this book that we need to be very wary of one-dimensional friendships He says that one-dimensional friendships prioritize sameness. So views and convictions and practices are never challenged and blind spots are never uncovered. And friendships like these can't offer the natural, redemptive, character-forming tension that diversity brings to our lives. This one-dimensional friendship can be parents just hanging out with parents, singles with singles, athletes with athletes, athletes, Republicans with other Republicans, Democrats too. White people to other white people, people of color too. Affluent with the affluent, and so on. And when we do this, a poverty of friendship will be the outcome. And I say that will often happen within the church. If you just surround yourself with people just like you, you'll have a poverty of friendship. But in the body of Christ, we're supposed to branch out in our diversity and be friends on mission together. And to show you how diverse this church is and to understand how, how countercultural it was at this time, the Apostle Paul is going to point out three Jews and three Gentile colleagues. Watch this. Let's start with the Jewish co- uh, colleagues. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. These are his Jewish co workers, and as it says, they are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. Now, I, I want to work backwards from these three guys. I want to start with Jesus, Mark, and then Aristarchus. So he starts out, I'm going to mention a Jesus first. It's Jesus who is called Justice. And Jesus was a common Jewish name from the Old Testament, named Joshua, but he was called Justice, perhaps to distinguish him from Jesus Christ. You can imagine the confusion they must have been having. And the next person I want to work backwards says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And this is a reference to John Mark. And it's interesting, if you know any history from the book of Acts, Paul is sending greetings from Mark. But we know that Mark bailed on Paul. They were in ministry together. At one time, Mark bailed. In fact, Barnabas and Paul had a sharp disagreement about whether or not John Mark should be welcomed back on the ministry team. Paul said no. Barnabas said yes, so they separated. But now Paul seems to have welcomed back Mark. In fact, he encourages the church to welcome him as well. It says, concerning in verse 10, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. That's good. This is a good word concerning reconciled friends on mission together. I'm going to say it because you feel it. This is a hard one. For those of you who have been burned by your friends, perhaps by your Christian friends, perhaps even in this church, it's hard to think about reconciliation. And For those of you who are going into the ministry or already in the ministry, I want to tell you that there is nothing that stings more then friends within the church turning their back on you. And I've had it happen more and, more and more times than I like to talk about. When close friends of ours turn their back on me, they hurt me and they hurt my family. It's painful. I mean, it's not just a pastor's thing, you've experienced this before. But when I see this story of Paul and Mark, it's a story of hope that there could be some repair and the ability to again be on mission together. And I want to say as, as painful it has been and in the stories that I could talk about this morning over the last 21 years of ministry, I have experienced in some instances reconciliation with those people, even with my family and theirs. And it's very encouraging that, yes, there could be a split that happened, but there can be this reconciliation, in fact, where you can even be on friends' mission together. Now, the guy I really like, you say, what's one of my favorite ones from this? Yeah, I mean, do you really pick favorites? But, you know, pick this favorite in verse 10. We have this guy named Aristarchus. Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. Now, let me tell you why I like this guy. You're not going to believe this. This guy, many think that he goes with with Paul in jail voluntarily. In Acts 27.2, it's mentioned that he accompanied Paul on a ship While Paul was still a prisoner. Think about it. The thinking is that he's with Paul in prison, served with him in the ministry, while voluntarily being in jail with him. (laughs) That's the kind of friends you want. Yeah? Maybe that's the kind of friend you don't want to be. (laughs) Can you imagine voluntarily going to jail to care for someone else? That's the kind of friends you want. When life gets hard... They're going to be there, and they're going to be by your side. Now, I'm going to do this. I'm going to to push it even a little further, okay? There's this famous saying within the Christian world, all right? Don't write it down. Don't ever say it again. (laughs) And the, the quote goes like this. The safest place to be is at the center of God's will. You better not write that down. The safest place to be is at the center of God's will. Really? Have you ever read the Bible? It seems like in the Bible, a lot of people are doing God's will, and it's really difficult, and some of them are getting killed. So a better phrase would be, the most dangerous place to be is at the center of God's will. And here you have Paul taking gospel risk. He gets thrown in jail. And Aristarchus, boom, right there with him. It's awesome to be around friends that are not playing it safe. They're not taking the safe and the secure route. But they're they're, they're taking risks and they're spurring you on to do the same. I just think about missionaries. It's awesome when they're spurring one another on when things get hard. I think about some of you students, you want to share the gospel on campus, and you you, you get pushback. You're you're spurring one another on to keep sharing the gospel. And for those of you who are are adoptive parents, when things get tough, I I see you praying for one another in these new challenges. And, And that's the kind of friends you want. You want the kind of friends that when things get hard, they don't say to you, well, you can just go ahead and quit following Jesus, or you can just quit being faithful, or you can just quit doing the will of God. Well, if you're having hard times, well, you know the safest place to be is at the center of God's will, blah. You need friends who are taking risks and encouraging you to do the same. Now Paul turns to his Gentile colleagues, and we're going to start with Epaphras. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Now, Epaphras is probably my favorite Gentile colleague listed here. I'm not sure whose yours is, but Paul did not directly plant this church. In fact, he never visited this church. He he planted the church in Ephesians, and the church in Ephesians ended up planting this church. And Epaphras is likely the church planner who would give Paul reports and updates. But let me tell you why I like Epaphras. And why is Epaphras sending greetings to the church he planted? Well, the reason why he's sending greetings is because Epaphras is not at that church. He's 1,000 miles away with Paul visiting him in jail (laughs) because there is tension at the church, false teachers in the church, and Epaphras is like, I need to talk to Paul. There is no flights. There is no train. 1,000 miles he goes, probably a rough journey, to visit the apostle Paul. That shows you how much he loved this church, that he would make this difficult journey to make sure the church held on to the true gospel. And we were told that Epaphras was always struggling for the church in prayer so they would stand firm in the will of God. And so I'm just saying, somebody needs to go ahead and name their kid Epaphras. What a great servant of the Lord. Just think about your own life, what kind of sacrifices you would make for your church and your friends on mission How much would you struggle in prayer for the church and your friends on mission and for the growth and maturity of others? What a great example. Keep going with a couple other Gentiles. Look at verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. This is the same Luke who wrote the book of Luke and Acts. He was with Paul in a variety of times and was probably like Aristarchus. And he probably voluntarily stayed with Paul in prison. Perhaps he was there to help him care for his medical needs. You notice also that Paul sends a greeting from Demas. Paul doesn't call him faithful, doesn't call him beloved, but he simply sends a greeting from Demas. So why is that? just going to guess here, but it seems like Paul may sense a crack in Demas' life. That he hopes doesn't become a huge break. But what we learn later on in uh, Second Timothy four ten, that it was a huge break, it says, For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And Demas loved the world so much that he deserted Paul. And so maybe in this part of Colossians' Paul sees the crack became a huge break. And in some of your friendships, you can sense something going on in someone's life. Whether you're believing friends, they're walking with Jesus, and then you sense a crack in their lives. And you hope they don't turn away from the Lord, go after the world. But when you sense those relationships that you know, people within the church perhaps are your friends who are walking with Jesus, who once were, and you see a crack, will you, as a good friend, say something? Or will you, after the fact, say, I saw the crack, <laughs> but now they're gone? Friends are continue to be in each other's lives, even when people are struggling and perhaps even starting to stray. You want to be the friend who prays, speaks truth, and deals with the cracks before they become a huge chasm. Now for some closing remarks, verses 15 and 17. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Paul wants to send greetings to Laodicea. It's It's a house church that meets in Nympha's house. He also sends admonition to Archippus to keep going in the ministry he's received. And after this letter is read to the Colossians, he wants it read to the church in Laodicea, and he wants the letter to have been read at the church of Colossae. And perhaps there's a, a book. This is the book of, the, of Ephesians. This other letter, or maybe some lost letter. In either case, they are to have a mutual sharing of encouragement between churches. And then finally, Paul ends this way in verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember. My chains, grace be with you. (laughs) Rather than a scribe or a secretary finishing up the letter dictated by Paul, he writes the greeting himself as a firm authentication. And he sends them grace. And he wants them to remember his chains. Paul is in jail because he was preaching the gospel. Remember my chains. He was proclaiming a gospel to those who do not know Jesus that the only way to have eternal life and be reconciled to the Father is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it got him arrested. And he wants his friends that he's on mission with together, don't forget my chains. Don't forget the risk I've taken so that others may come to know the Father through Jesus. That is awesome. That is friends on mission together taking risks to see the gospel go out. Paul is not a one-man show, but he's part of a team. Have you ever heard of the concept of a legacy play? A legacy play is often when people think about what dent will you make on this world that will live on after you're dead? This legacy play concept can come up when you're a college student and say, okay, God, what's your will for me? What's the legacy you want me to live, you know, leave on this earth when I, I leave this earth, right? And you can keep revisiting this concept of legacy play as a college student and in midlife and at the end of life. God, I'm, I'm a, before I die... What legacy do you want me to leave? And I'm not saying that's bad to do that. We all need to examine our hearts and our life and say, okay, what calling and gifting has God given us? But if we're talking about friends on mission together, and we're reading the Bible, it seems like we should think more on the concept of corporate legacy play. Yeah? Where it's just not about me conquering the world for Christ and leaving this great legacy. It's me being with others within the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, and being together in prayer and talking together and saying, you know what? What can we do together to impact the world for Christ? What's this corporate legacy play that we can pull off rather than just me or you? But what can we do together for the Lord? I would say some of my um, idea of friends on mission together, I would say clearly it's, it's the elders at this church. We do not meet in formal elder meetings. I don't know what you picture of the elders dressed up in suits or something, all sitting around making these formals. No, we're friends. We pray together. We deal with hard times together. We care for one another. And I would say that this past year there have been some challenges and some difficulties within our church. And to think that I or one of them would be the leader by themselves is ridiculous. We've been friends on mission together. And I've been so encouraged by those brothers. I want you to think about your context. I want you to think about your ethos community. What if you gathered around them and said, hey, what can we do together that has an impact? Think about the people you hang with that are believers. What can you do together that has an impact? It's not about this doing your own thing. It's about being around others. And living as friends, on mission together. Let's pray. father it's it's amazing how we, we want friends, even sometimes we don't even admit it. We, we need friends, and encouragement, people to build us up, to be in our lives, to pray with us, people for us to care for. And Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone in here who has um, maybe some struggles with some other person right now in the body, that there be reconciliation. And I also pray that if there's anyone in here who sees a, a crack in someone else's life before it becomes a huge break, that they would say something to their friends. For those of us who like to isolate and be alone, Show us the importance of being with other believers to encourage whether in the gospel. And Lord, we also ask that you would give us the ability to trust you. That it's not about us making a name for ourselves and leaving our lasting legacy. Show us what it means to be together with others as we kind of run this life marathon and think of ways we can impact the world while we're here for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.